Hello and welcome to the This Is My Ride Bike Stories uh, podcast by Argon AT. Uh, my name's uh, uh, Ed Beechner Collins and I'm the uh, athlete and sponsorship manager at Argon 18 and I'll be your host today. Um, I've got some great guests today. I'm joined by uh, Joss Loudon and Ashton Lamy and um, we'll let those guys explain uh, who they are and what they've done recently but obviously we're really excited to have uh, Joss and Ashton uh, together with us today to talk a little bit about, um, obviously we don't have a, a, enough time to talk about all the things that these guys have done, but recently there's some stuff I'm sure you'll find uh, interesting um, and have a good listen. Over to you, uh, Ashton and Joss, if you could give us a brief introduction of who you are and uh, what you guys have been up to. Yeah, my name is Ashton Lambie, um, most famously known for the Sub 4 world record. That's what I did this summer. And then I uh, just got back from Roubaix, France last week, where I won my first world, cha- world championship in the pursuit. Um, so, I mean, it's been a big year for me, but uh, I got started with Argonne um in probably 2018 2019 when i raced with who bought bike for two world cup seasons and uh yeah that's kind of how i i got started and joined all this i also race gravel and live in an rv with my partner christina in montana wow thanks ashton and joss over to you Hello, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Joss Loudon. Uh, I'm a British uh, road uh, cyclist, really, and time trialist um, that was um, sort of convinced um, <laughs> against my better judgment to have a go at the hour world record by my um, other half, who's Dan Bigham, who uh, used to run uh, the Hoop Watt Bike team that Ashton rode for. Um, so, yeah, so he convinced me uh, to do the hour world record, which I recently uh, just broke back in uh, the end of September in Gretchen. Um, so, yeah, I sort of fit that in, fitted that into a pretty busy um, race season, um, racing on the road and then with sort of worlds and, yeah, all other sorts of, all those sorts of things. So it's been pretty busy. Excellent. Thanks very much, uh, Josh and Ashton, for that. Um, I guess it, it might be quite useful to go back a little bit because, um, I've got a little story, and unfortunately, Dan uh, couldn't join us today because he's, uh, as as we all know, Dan is always busy. So, um, <laughs> but I'll 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 maybe explain from an Argon perspective uh, how we actually got to work with each other. But uh, um, I met Dan a few years ago prior to um, uh, to all this uh, talk of records and stuff like that, and uh, we've obviously uh, been supporting and working with the Hub Watt Bike team, and we were proud to sponsor. Um, the team with the uh, the Argon track frames, and obviously that's uh, uh, you know where it all started, I guess. And also with our uh, other product, the uh, the Notio device um, was also uh, part of that conversation. And I think that's uh, quite a useful tool that Dan has put to use in in, in all the things that uh, that he has done. But I guess um, maybe uh, Ashton, uh, you could explain. Um, where all this conversation about these records came about because um, there was a plan, I think, pre-COVID for you guys to go and do a bunch of these things, but unfortunately yeah. things got in the way. So could you explain that? Uh, yeah. So when we were racing with Hubwatt Bike, um, it was like the best events we could go to were World Cups. Um, so you had to race for a country to go to world championships. And at that point we weren't able to race as a full squad um, because I'm American. Those guys are British. Um, So it was a little bit of a split up, you know, and then the UCI had a rule change for a little bit where trade teams, which is what we were, weren't allowed to race in world cups. Um, And so what we decided to do was to go to this super fast track in Bolivia where I had set the record in 2019 um, at Pan American Championships, set the world record there. And it was, it's at altitude, it's like whoa, 20, 2,000 meters. Two six. What is it, Joss? I think 2,650 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's super high. Really uh, high. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's a track that's actually designed to go really fast. And so we had this big plan. We were going to, we called it the world record orgy and we were going to go there in like, you know, the fall of 2020 when it was summer there, cause it's in South America. And we were going to go for the, the IP, the TP, the hour, the kilo. I think that's it. Like basically every timed event we could do. Um, but then, uh, yeah, COVID happened. So, I mean, at some point, I remember hearing that they were using the track, like the velodrome for a hospital or like vaccination sites. Um, and then we were messaging the guy that we know that like the track director, Ramiro down there. And he was like, oh, well, we've had a little bit of a government change. And I was like, I, you know, in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, they got a new director of cycling. And then I saw a Wall, a Wall Street Journal article that was like, oh, the the president was like escorted to the border by the military. And I was like, oh, you mean that kind of government change? Like, this might not happen for a little bit. And so, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the plan just kind of, you know, through through stuff we couldn't really control, like it didn't really end up happening, which is a bummer. Yeah, it was it was such a shame. It was like, um, yeah, this yeah really cool plan because I can remember I was so yeah I yeah got invi- involved and jumped on the back of um, the hoop what my boys planned to go to Cochabamba and I think you planned it for the for the fall hadn't you and then it and then it got postponed to the April twenty twenty yeah and I was out on a like training camp with them in Tenerife up at the top of Mount Tidy in the March when the lockdown came in. And when we kind of didn't really believe in it at that point, and we were like, "What? No, they can't lock. They can't make us all lock down. Like, oh, it must blow over in a few weeks." And then, while we were up there, we saw the news come in that Cochabamba and yeah, the velodrome was being turned into like yeah, like a hospital. And we were like, "Oh, okay, no, this actually is real." <laughs> and it was yeah. like this. It was like quite heartbreaking in a way, wasn't it? Like I knew that yeah. like kind of all kind of coping with this like disappointment that, that we weren't going to go up there and to do these records. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously while Cochabamba didn't, didn't happen, the idea was never put off and yeah, managed to manage to put it together in some ways. Didn't we? And uh, just were you guys uh, there specifically um, at altitude in preparation for that? Was that, was that the purpose of that visit uh, to Tenerife? Yeah, so um, the Hoob guys had gone out there in January as well. I'd been on, I don't know, just a training camp, I think, in Spain and was training with my team because I had a full race calendar as well that I was you know, going to be doing. So I was kind of just slotting this in. Um, and at this point, I was just going to, the record that I was going to go for was just going to be a British record. It wasn't going to be an official world record because I wasn't on the human-like biological passport, i.e. like the testing pool, which is what you need to be to be it to be official. Um, so I was kind of pretty low-key, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to rock up and ride an hour. Um, <laughs> I'd actually only ridden on the track at this point maybe like a handful of times. <laughs> so uh, I'd done a little bit of... Um, yeah, sort of preparation, a bit of riding on the track. I'd done one IP at the British National Champs in the January, but I was, in all sense and purposes, like genuinely clueless. Um, and uh, yeah, so they'd done a, uh, an altitude camp in the January, and then in this in this March was this last altitude camp to yeah just get ready. We were kind of coming home, and then pretty much straight away heading out to Bolivia was the plan. And in, in, in that preparation, um, you know, I, I guess it might be quite a useful thing to explain to listeners about uh, the reasons why you obviously the attempt, yes, was at altitude. But obviously, um, you know, going there is, is quite a big thing. Right. So um, most mere mortals out there cycling, riding around on a Sunday. But obviously altitude plays a big part in preparation for obviously, you know, not just for record attempts, but also in general in cycling, it's quite a big thing, right? Yeah, like huge. I think I mean, Ashton's obviously competed up it in that sort of altitude before, and I, I haven't, but so you can sort of talk some more. But basically you've got uh, like two two thousand six hundred meters is really really high, and there's a big big difference in how you perform obviously at that altitude. So when so these sort of two reasons why you do a camp in preparation for it, it'll be you know partly because you get a lot of benefits from training at altitude, but also like acclimatization to actually be able to to cope with it, um, cope with the demands, um, and uh, but the sort of the 
the benefit of being at altitude in terms of how fast you go because of how low the air density is, is I suppose it's significant enough to outweigh the drop off that you get physiologically from being at the altitude. So, um, but you obviously just can't rock up and kind of just hope for the best. But I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've never actually been up. I've never competed. I've skied at that sort of height, but I've never tried to ride. I've certainly never done an IP. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it really like the specific prep is huge. Um, And I would say like the overall energy demands, at least from my experience for an IP are are very, very different. Um, Like the doing an IP at that altitude, even, even in, Aguas Calientes where I did it, which I think is like 2,200 meters, 24 maybe. Um, but like, it's so much more of an anaerobic effort. And so I think you have to train like this incredible anaerobic capacity. Um, and you have to do that at altitude. Um, to get, to get the benefit. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, the, I mean, like there was just so much lactate when I got finished it with the IP in Mexico versus like when I did it in Rubey a couple of weeks ago, like I was able to walk off my bike and like, you know? Um, so, I mean, yeah, the specific training demands are huge. And I think uh, specific training demands of the altitude and also of the event, like you do have to dedicate some serious time to be able to make that happen. It's, it's definitely tricky. Like it is faster if you, um, you know, do the training, but I think if you just rocked up there and you were there for, you know, three or four days and you just tried to go and do an hour, it'd be, it'd be rough. It'd be real. I would not want to do that. I, uh, that'd be terrible. Yeah. I'm really pleased that you said that about how your legs felt and the difference between being in Agus Calientes and being Roubaix, because I look at how you looked after your IP, uh, world record. And then look at how I looked after my hour and I literally looked like I'd been out for a, a Sunday stroll <laughs> and you're yeah. like, you can't stand up in pain. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to blame that on the fact that mine was at sea level. Right. <laughs> It's different. Yeah, it's definitely. A <laughs> yeah. So, so with that in mind, and, and obviously you've done uh, some preparation, Joss, at uh, uh, Mount Tady, and, and, and obviously the, the, the Bolivia trip um, uh, was obviously cancelled because of COVID. How did you guys cope with that? Because that's a big, um, you know, for anybody to have a, you know, normally the closest for an athlete that gets to what we've had happen with COVID is somebody getting an injury. And it's like, what do I do? What do I do? So how did you guys cope with that and uh, carry that dream over to what you've done recently? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Josh, you can go first. I think. I think because the the hour dream in Cochabamba for me was actually such a short-lived idea. So I think that the I didn't have the same sort of levels of disappointment. I imagine that probably the boys did with it. Yeah. Um, I was definitely disappointed, but I was also dealing with the fact that our entire like road season was, you know, particularly in question and everything that we trained for. But I don't know. I think I was quite matter of fact about it. I kind of always just was like, well, okay, you're going to lose, you know, you know, the world's in having this crisis. We're losing a bit of bike racing. It's not the end of the world. Like, you know, um, like relatively it's, it's nothing in comparison, but that's obviously like at the beginning and then it kind of went on and on. Um, and I guess I just always felt like it will happen. Like this will, time will recover and we'll just, we'll do it another time. Um, it's a bit that's a bit of a boring like not very dramatic uh, answer but that was the case really <laughs> and did, did, did you keep uh obviously from a training perspective um you, you you know without any racing happening and obviously this this uh delay to these attempts um was that quite difficult as well sort of maintaining because you're not really working towards anything immediate with the racing uh curtailed because of covid and obviously the records too yeah i mean to be honest, I really like riding my bike. I like training and like riding. And um, for the most part of that initial 2020 lockdown, it was, okay, just keep riding, just keep training and stuff. But the, the challenge actually came when things did start to open up and the sort of the world tour races were being put on. So the, the autumn was really busy in the women's calendar, but I didn't race once because we weren't allowed out basically out of the UK. So the British teams weren't able to go because of insurance reasons, basically. And that's when it was really hard because it was like, okay, well, everyone else is racing now. And, and now you've, I've kept fit and kept training for throughout this entire sort of six, seven month period. And I've still got no racing. And it wasn't until the following spring that raced again so yeah that that was then pretty hard 
And for you, Ashton, did you, uh, you, 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 you obviously had a slightly different pathway to what you've done recently. So, yeah, well, I don't have a full road calendar, which is totally different, but I, I think that I share the same sentiment as Joss, uh, like I really like training. Um, so, I mean, I guess when COVID started, it was right after track world champs 2020 in Berlin. And I was working with a strength coach at the time, uh, Chris Del Sega Athletic Strength Institute. And I was like, man, you know, like I had a decent home gym and I was like, oh, I really want to like, let's just do a big gym block. And so I just did gym for like two months. And I was like, well, I'm never going to really have another time to be able to do this, you know, because yeah. I know for sure, like, I don't know when the next race is going to be, but I know it's not going to be in two months. And, you know, it was like, I took two months and I added 40 pounds to my squat, you know? Um, and that was like, I found that to be pretty fulfilling and I think that paid off. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I'm good at like coming up with, even if it's not a race on the calendar, that's really far out. Um, coming up with just like weird ideas, you know, like I was living in Nebraska at the time and there were a ton of gravel roads. And so I was like, Oh, I want to ride every gravel road in the County. And there's like, like almost 1500 miles of gravel roads in the County. And it was, you know, it took me several months, but like, it was a fun project to do. It wasn't, it wasn't like a specific race, but it was kind of a goal, like a bigger goal to train for that I had control over. Um, and I, I agree also like getting back into racing was tough. Like I think the first track race we had back was the Hong Kong nations cup, which would have been May of this year. And it was just like the absolute strictest pro COVID protocols you could imagine anywhere. And like, makes sense because they have super low case count. But I mean, uh, it was a, a nation's cup and it was like, we couldn't leave our rooms except to go to the track. And so you're basically just like in your solo room with someone delivering food to a saran wrap chair outside of your room three times a day. And you're outside of your room, like, like three hours a day just to go to the track. And then you come back. They're like, you know, we're walking through the lobby and they're like scrubbing it down with bleach behind us. Like it was nuts, man. And so I was oh. just, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be like racing for the rest of the year, like the rest of forever. Um, so that was a bit of a jarring reentry, but I think like now we've sort of reached a point where, uh, you know, like with, with testing and with better vaccination rates, like, you know, it is nice to be back into the swing of things and, having like a normal nation's cup and a normal world championship. I mean, relatively normal, but yeah, it was pretty fun. That's interesting. You say that about coming up with like weird ideas as well. Cause actually one thing that the lockdown and sort of that, yeah. that period did give us was a lot of time. This is us when I say like Dan and I to work on some pretty wacky ideas that we were able to sort of, I suppose, use for, for the hour, but we, I don't know, we just spent, came up with kind of like interesting projects to get stuck into. So we were trying to make um, our own pair of like carbon shoes, which meant that we made these really weird. Like, I saw that. Mold. Yeah. Did you see our weird feet? <laughs> I so, saw the feet. Yeah. But a bit of a like that's, that's kind of the good part about that. You don't normally get the bandwidth or the time to do those weird ideas. No. And it was like, um, so we're going to try and work out, yeah, the best way to get the absolute best mold of our own feet and so it was like first of all we tried this like plaster of paris like wrapping your like these bandages like soaked in plaster of paris like around our feet to try and get like the shape and then and we got this other stuff called like um some sort of like alginate which is basically like green goo um and we put that in a bucket and stood in there we kind of came up with all these different ways to get like really weird molds of our feet um, but we're clearing everything out at the moment because we're going to move to Andorra. And Dan's like picking these feet up. Like, do you think anyone will want to buy them? I'm like, well, no. Yes. 100% <laughs> yes. will want to buy those. Yeah, if anyone wants to buy like a weird sort of plaster of Paris mold of my foot, it's for sure. It's missing a toe. Not because I'm missing a toe. <laughs> because it, it so was, was that a decision uh, Dan made uh, just for aerodynamics? It was, uh, yeah, was that we were, purposely done. It was. We were sort of thinking like, um, kind of like yeah your shoes obviously come into it in a big way um but also not just for aerodynamics but for like how stiff the shoe is um yeah. and so that was kind of the idea behind kind of trying to make our own um carbon shoes and um I mean we did a lot a lot a lot of like tire testing sort of set up this rig in the kitchen 
Um, and Dan would sort of sit there and number crunch while I was like, I suppose, the guinea pig in the hamster wheel. And we just tested like tire after tire after tire. So we kind of, yeah, just, I don't know, used the time effectively. And I, I think that probably quite a lot, a lot of ideas that came out of that period that we were able to use. We love testing stuff in the kitchen, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always some of the best things, right? Have uh, have come. Out of, I I think also as well that the the time, um, you know, the people had, as you say, like testing different things, um, but also, uh, you know, having having that break from racing as well as you know, while you want to be racing and you want to be training and focused, I think potentially has done people, um, you know, has, has, has given people a boost in certain areas when they came back to racing. Um, whereas typically what happens, of course, is people have a full season, then they recover, go again. Um, whereas I guess for some people, it's been quite useful more than uh, more than just, uh, you know, as you say, developing things or trying different things. And I guess moving on from that, when did you guys start to, to focus back on um, the the records themselves? And because obviously that came up, um, you know, earlier this year and, and, and quite recently. So when did you start to prepare and make a decision because obviously there's a whole load of things that go into yeah. uh, the records that uh, perhaps a lot of our listeners may not be aware of. It's, it's an organizational um, nightmare is probably the wrong word, but uh, yeah. Logistical operation. Log- logistical well, yeah, operation. Yeah. operation. Yeah. Ashton, go for it. Um, yeah. I mean, so mine kind of started after, uh, after that Hong Kong nations cup, um, you know, when I got a 405 there, like it was, it was for, for every, all the factors that were involved in that, I felt like that was a pretty good time. And that was kind of when I started thinking like, oh, okay, this could be possible. And part of, part of my record attempt was tagging on with a group of other international riders that went down there to do like either national records or age group nationals or just age group world records down there. Um, so Aguas Calientes has like a pretty good infrastructure to handle those kind of like people coming in, you know, they're familiar with doing our records. I mean, like Dowsett's down there doing the hour record right now. Um, and so logistically, honestly, it wasn't super hard. Like I got in contact with uh, Lemus Enrique, who's a former Olympic road rider that was down there. And then like the track director, Juan Esparza. Um, and they just kind of, you know, like organized the officials. Um, it was talking with the UCI and USA Cycling to make it happen. But yeah, it was kind of one of those where just because it is South America, it was like, we'd kind of picked this date to do it in August. And then it was like, well, is it going to happen? Like, should we book tickets yet? And so I didn't really, I was sort of training like it was going to happen. But, you know, you're never 100% sure until you're like, on the track with the <laughs> clock counting down like at any point anything could have just nixed it so yeah uh yeah i mean it, it was a, a a long process but yeah we had a lot of people helping to pull it off it was good yeah that's quite funny that you say that like your realization of what you're doing kind of hits you it, like there's a moment isn't there and you're like oh god <laughs> yeah this is <laughs> what, it man what I committed to. for me i think yeah. it was when i uh like walked into the like little apartment that we had booked in Grenchen. I'd just come from Worlds and I was so tired. And I was like, what have I done? What am I doing this? <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah. Who does this? Who puts a world record like four days after like a big racing block at World Champs? All sorts of good form. <laughs> but um I think, yeah, so for me I we I kind of thought I was gonna do this like yeah British attempt. Um, in the winter then of 2021 and we thought we were going to go and do it in Odens in Denmark but again we couldn't travel um, so that was kind of pulled out again and it was just like oh, this is so annoying so we decided to just do like a practice attempt I could book um, book some time at a Veldrome in the UK it was like let's just go and do a practice hour and do a bit of like data collection so we went with like a whole load of um, like muscle EMG sensors um, like sort of on quads, on glutes, and then sort of um, motion sensors uh, called uh, Leomo, which measures like your sort of um, pedal stroke and hip rotation. And then obviously the no-show and lots of, you know, the aero data and then blood lactate levels and sodium losses, all sorts of things. And just did this practice hour with complete like race conditions. But 
um, obviously not an official thing. Um, and in a pretty, like, pretty naff condition, pretty naff conditions, um, I went further than the world record. So then after that, um, my team then was drops the call and the call, um, they were like, oh, if you can break the world record, then we need to make this official world record. So we need to properly back this and turn it into, uh, yeah, something big. So they got fully behind it and put me on the, or they sort of paid for and got the blood passport, and put me in the testing pool and then um, went about, yeah, organizing the whole thing. And at that point, I was like, I just want to do it as soon as possible because I didn't, I knew that I had a, you know, whole race calendar um, ahead of me and I didn't really want to, I suppose, I just wanted to get the hour done and then I could get on with the road racing. And I didn't think that I could do them both at the same time. I just, I didn't think that I could do it. Like mentally, I thought, I, you know, you run the risk of injuries when you race on the road and I certainly have had a fair, a fair few. So I didn't think that I was going to be able to do that. But because the lead time for an official world record is quite long, like four or five months and then with the blood passport yeah. as well. Like it wasn't possible to just do it like next week. So we sort of then started to look at where where in the year could I do it? And I was like, well, let's put it when I'm going to be fit, which is going to be around the world champs, around like the women's tour, around nationals, all of which was going to fall September, October time. So I was like, let's just stick it like round bam in the middle of that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was actually like I was – in the best form as I possibly could have been, like given where it was. But I think that it was good enough to do what I needed to do. <laughs> and I think that, yeah, I think because I tried to do it in the middle of a, a race season, like, yeah, you just have to try and, yeah, I suppose manage everything that's around you. It's not it's not easy at all. Um, do it as best as you can, really, and that's what kind of happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Um, can you guys explain to our listeners exactly what you, because I, I purposely didn't mention at the beginning, I said records, but to just put it in context, maybe, uh, you know, talk a little bit around what you guys have actually gone and broken. And, um, you know, obviously two different uh, uh, distances, but it'd be really good to have listeners understand. And, and the other thing I would like to know as well is, um and, and, and Joss, as you've just been pointing out there, you had the, the, the sort of difficulty of trying to balance you know your your job of racing on the road and that commitment and then also had this sort of as you as as you mentioned a couple of minutes ago oh no I'm now at this apartment in Grenton and I've got to go and do this tomorrow so so I think it might be really useful to sort of say okay we, we, you know we're there we're we're we're, uh, we're going for it but um you know let, let's talk a little bit about what you actually what you guys actually did and um you know I think it's absolutely amazing but I'd like to hear from you guys um well yeah okay so um i guess mine was the hour world record um which had previously been set by vittoria busi in aguas calientes actually and she rode 48.007 kilometers um and yeah when i met dan he had sort of ran some numbers because he's got a spreadsheet for everything and was like yeah i think you can do this so like yeah just get you on the track um turn you from a road racer like yeah done some time trialing but let's yeah turn you into track rider really and um so yeah my track experience was quite low um but the yeah the hour itself um yeah I mean it was yeah pretty daunting and I didn't have much track time in the in the build-up to it um I had to, yeah I spent some time on my TT bike because I was yeah doing the TT and team time trial at Worlds and um yeah, then arrived in in Grenchen in Switzerland. Um, where we decided to decided to do it, and yeah, in the days beforehand, I was oh, I was having like serious doubts because I just didn't feel good. Um, I don't sleep that well, and especially when I'm racing. And I basically had about ten days at Worlds where I hadn't slept. Is what it felt like, and I just had this complete meltdown. I was like, yeah, like I said before, like what am I doing? What have I committed to? And um, my style has always been to kind of do things like pretty under the radar, like keep my head down. I'm not like massively into huge amounts of like media attention. And and I knew that this was going to be sort of live on Eurosport and Lacole had planned, you know, quite a lot to make it quite a big thing. And, oh, it just filled me with absolute dread. Um, I was just, yeah, super, super nervous about it. But then um, like the night before or the day before, I got on the track to do like my pre-race ride, basically like a bit of a sort of, um, like your openers in a sense and I did like a 15 minute block on the track at record pace 
And I was like, oh, if someone asked me, I told me I had to do an hour right now. Like, how would I feel about it? And I was like, okay, I think I can do it. <laughs> and so that was like a really nice feeling because I knew I wasn't going to do like my best ever ride, but I knew that I was going to, I knew I could do it. Um, and yeah, so the day, the day came and I was actually like super relaxed about it. Um, and I did 40, oh, do you know something? This is going so bad. What the hell, what did I do? 48. 405, I think. So I think it broke it by, yeah, just a smidge under 400 meters, which doesn't sound like much, but I suppose that's, it's, it's equivalent. That's a lot. That's like two laps. Yeah, it's like 20 something seconds. Um, but uh, I was, I think if I'd, if I'd really like targeted it and we've said, said, yeah, gone to Aguas Calientes or got, gone to Cochabamba, then I probably would have aimed to do like, I don't know, 49 or dare, like dare I say even 50 if I'd been really on form. And yeah, everything. But I think given where I was and what I could do on that day, uh, I was, I was pretty happy with it. And just, um, yeah, I, I think that it was, yeah, it was a good event. And I know that because Dan did so much work for it, you know, he's the aerodynamicist. I just pushed the pedals. Um, and yeah, he was over the moon, and it, that was kind of really fun to see. <laughs> and in the in the run up to that, while you were racing uh, on the road, and obviously with this in mind, um, d- did your training change slightly to accommodate this, or how how did you how did you blend those two things together um, in the run up to the uh, the hour record attempt? So I think this was almost like a little bit of this was the problem was that um, like I generally go quite well off volume, like, uh, yeah, sort of a decent volume block. I tend to be at my best afterwards. And I'd been in the Sierra Nevada at the back end of August uh, and I'd done a good block then come back. um, But then I, in a sense, tapered and probably tapered too much to go into Worlds. Um, So then had the three events at Worlds, so the TT, the TTT and the road race. And then, yeah, I got there for the hour and it kind of meant that by the time that I actually did my hour, I'd pretty much not really ridden my bike other than a few race days for like a month is what it felt like. And I was just, I had that kind of um, like slightly like blocked feeling, like heavy legs. Um, so I think that, um, yeah, I don't think my preparation for it was as, as good as it could have been. Like I was cardiovascularly fit and my time on my TT bike was the sort of the, the you know the bit of technique work I'd done but I certainly hadn't done you know huge blocks of riding around the track um (laughs) in the run-up to it so I don't think you could really (laughs) look at my preparation and say oh yeah you know that's why she did well (laughs) well but of course you had other things to to concentrate on right the world championships and uh uh, all that kind of stuff and and just to, to give viewers an idea um you say oh I just popped the Sierra Nevada did a couple of training blocks what does that sort of typical week in terms of hours on the bike um you know what 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 does that come out at uh so yeah we're talking sierra nevada down in spain um so that's up at about two and a half thousand meters goes up to about three and a half um so i was there just doing pretty pretty low intensity so definitely the first week or so is like just kind of long hours like yeah to acclimatize um like real steady stuff um, and so you're knocking up like, yeah, that's quite a lot of hours. I think I probably like 21, 22 hours in the week. And then sort of in the back end of the trip, start to do, I go down a bit lower and do sort of like longer, harder blocks, a bit of threshold work. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's quite, quite a lot of hours of, of real slow riding, but, um, it's quite steep down there as well. So it's real, like you're on a road, yeah, on a road bike, riding slowly uphill. Like when I got home, I was like, oh, I just want to ride on the flat. <laughs> Luckily, I got that on the track. <laughs> Brilliant, excellent. Well, obviously, it paid off, right? So that uh, um, that time there has uh, uh, worked really well for you. And combining, I, th- I think it's amazing how you can combine the road season and, as you say, arrive two days after the World Championships and do what you did. So, um, absolutely amazing. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. I know that over tapered feeling. That's like that's such a bad feeling too. It is, isn't it? <laughs> just, uh, and then you just think, what can I do about it? It's too late. Yeah, <laughs> all I can do is go ride my bike for another two weeks and get rid of it. Like, yeah, yeah. And even now, with all the technology um, and all the sort of things out there for various things in in, in, in bike racing, there still isn't that 
you know, uh, it's it's still a, almost an art form trying to get it right. Everybody's still chasing it, I guess. So I think, I think papers. Like, are, yeah, okay. go ahead, Joss. I was gonna say, I think it's like the fear of not being fresh when you go into a race. Like you think I've got to taper, I've got to do less, but then you think, when do I actually go best? And it's it's usually actually in the middle of a training block is usually when you're flying. Yeah. I think it's really individual too. Like I know some people that go, well, some people do like two week tapers and that seems to work. And it's so hard because you spend like all season, you know, peaking and tapering for one event. And then if you blow it, it's just like, well, there's six months down the drain, you know, or at least that's how it is for track. So from one extreme, uh, Joss breaking the uh, the hour record uh, to um, uh, Ashton, talk to us about your uh, your four k attempt and, and and breaking that uh, infamous uh, four minutes. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I've actually broken the individual pursuit four kilometer world record. That's my fourth time now. Um, so initially I kind of got my starting to track, uh, with, uh, national championship in 2017. And I broke the first world, I broke my world record the first time in 2018. It would have been at that same track in Mexico at Pan American championships when, uh, I think Jack Bobridge had it before at like a 410 something. And I dropped it to a 407, um, and then lowered it a couple more times the next year when we were in Bolivia. Um, and then Filippo Ghana, who is another, you know, incredible pursuit time trialist guy. Um, he lowered it two times in 2019 and 2020 at worlds. Um, so then when I went to Mexico, it was a four, it had dropped almost nine seconds in a matter of two years between the two of us. Um, and so he had ridden a four oh a four oh one something. And so I you know, it was kind of one of those where like, you know, we'd been watching this this time just absolutely plummet and it was like, okay, someone's gonna go sub four, like who's gonna be the first person to do it? Um and so yeah, I mean I was I was pretty excited to be able to take a good crack at it and you know, really put my name in the history books to make that happen. Um and yeah, I mean to go back to Mexico was really special. Um, you know, that was the same track where I did it the first time and it, you know, a little bit like kind of came full circle and, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, yeah, an incredible experience to be able to get to do that and then to be able to back it up with a world championship. Like I was over the moon about that. Yeah. Congratulations. And, and, and thanks. Yeah. So that was, uh, some rivalry, I think between, uh, you and, um, the, uh, uh Filippo and uh yeah it's funny because people describe it as a rivalry and like I really like the dude like every time we've hung out um I you know like we don't like hang out and go get beers or something but like you know I'll chat with him on insta or like if we're on a podium like we're we're usually just chatting it up he came over him and we actually me him and uh Claudio Imhoff actually hung out in the pits probably for like, I don't know, 20 minutes after, after the podium presentation, like just talking about the track and racing. And, um, it was awesome. It was super fun. Like I, I have just incredible respect for that guy. I think it's funny because I view him and even you, Joss, like I view, I view you guys as like real bike racers, you know, cause you guys do like, you do road seasons and like road world championships. And I'm just like, I'm just this like really good at one, one niche within the niche, you know, like I, I don't, I don't think it's a rivalry. I think Felipe just kind of looks and he's like, man, what a weird little dude. And uh, like, you know, I think it's, a, I think it will definitely be mutual respect. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I hope it is. I really like him. He's a nice guy. So, so just to put it in context for, uh, for, for our listeners, Ashton, so four kilometers, you're going from a standing start and uh what what was the um so what's the average speed that you have to maintain to break four minutes just to put it in 60 context k's an hour 60 k's an hour there you get go. on yeah so so yeah i mean you have to get up to speed as quickly as possible and then um it's sort i sort of think about it like you're you're chipping time off of that first k so like if i do my first kilometer in 
say 106, I have three kilometers left to get that six seconds back. So I basically have to do three consecutive 58 second kilos. No, oh, yeah, because I have a long time to work to, to like negate my opening lap. <laughs> totally. Yeah, but it's pretty significant. And, you know, like it, uh, yeah, if you, you know, and it's, it's a tricky balance because like you don't want to start too slow. Like obviously if you want to go fast, you have to start fast. Um, but you also don't want to fade out too hard on the end. Whereas I think with the hour record, you have a lot more flexibility. Oh, you've got to like ease in, like yeah. really slow. Like you, it's actually, it's almost difficult to go as slow as you need to go because of course you've got to get out of the start gate. And I think because I'm not a natural track cyclist, I ride with pretty big gear. I think it's like, what is it? 64, 15 or something. We so, were in the same gear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is for a very different speed, but that, that <laughs> we basically just kind of reversed it. And we're like, how, okay, what cadence do I want to ride? And I'm like pretty yeah. happy at like 90, 91. So like, okay. So that means that you need to ride that gear. So that's, yeah, it looks pretty slow and I'm churning around, but it's really stable. Uh, it's really comfy, but getting out the gate on a gear like that without putting down loads of power is like, well, I mean, it's, it's really hard. You have to literally just so hard. roll out and then, yeah, you do this opening lap. And then, I mean, Dan was at the track side because he was doing my splits and he's just shouting like, relax, relax. Because the inclination is to go quite hard because you're like, I'm at the beginning of a race. Like, I want to go. I want to start. Yeah. You're like, yeah. I've got to literally just cruise. This first bit has to be like so slow. So, yeah, Oof. it's definitely very different. <laughs> yeah. So that would explain, Ashton, your uh, your focus on a lot of strength training because, of course, you need to get that bike up to speed. Um, yeah. Whereas for you, Joss, the the yes, it's still a requirement to get uh, going and everything, but uh, you're obviously not concentrating as much because the distance and the attempt that you made is is obviously a lot different. Yeah, I mean. I think, yeah, I think there's a huge amount of value in yeah, the, the gym work and the strength work, um, you know, regardless. But, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm almost like breaks on. So you do your, yeah, your first lap out the gate and then the next lap. And then after that, it is literally like, it's almost like breaks on, like slow down <laughs> and relax. It's to, um, to, Yeah, you've got to maintain a, a pace. Otherwise, uh, you're not going to make it right. So that's that's the hard part as well, holding back a little bit. Yeah, you're not going to set an hour world record in the first few laps, but you could lose it if you go out too hard. It's like definitely don't want to be in the red there. And and I guess uh, another question from me. Sorry, I I, I uh, yeah I find it fascinating um, uh, how you guys do this. But mentally, what what goes through your mind when you're you know you're you're obviously you've got the build up to it. You're on the start gate. You go and and what's what's actually happening as you're going round. So. Ashton? <laughs> yeah, for me, there's not not much. I mean, I don't have very much time, you know, like there's if you've never done a standing start on a track bike, uh, there's like this really specific series of steps you have to do. Um, so, you know, I, I think of like switching gears, you get through the first by the time you sit into turn three, you should be like in the skis down, ready to roll. Um, so there's this those progression of steps. I always listen to. Uh, <laughs> I always listen to the song "Come On Eileen" before the start uh, because that's about the right cadence I need to do. Oh, um, so it's about 100, 110 to one hundred and fourteen RPMs, um, and so then it, you know, and it's got that nice slow build up. So like, feels the same as the start. I can't believe that's like your your motivation song, dude. It's the, it, I've listened to it before the start for years. It's it's perfect. That's always uh, like the song that's played like at the end of a wedding when everyone's like, oh, okay, it's time to go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's kind of what's going through my head. And then like really trying to keep the pace on the first two K. Cause like Josh said, you know, like you're not going to get a world record in the first, first two K, but you could lose it. Um, and so, yeah, keeping the pace on. And then, I mean, with two K to go, like, you know, there's a little bit of pacing in the last K, but like no one's yelling splits to you with three laps to go. Like you're just, you're just sprinting. You're just trying to, trying to hang on as best as you can for sure. But I don't know. There's probably a lot more to think about in an hour. 
Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's a weird one. I guess more than anything, you're just kind of on this feedback loop of just going through all your senses, just making sure that you're kind of keeping everything in check, like your position, uh, like how do you feel, constantly thinking about that. And then ordinarily I'm thinking about like the line I'm writing, but actually at Grenchen, oh, it was, it was really annoying. So these, um, like the foam pads that go out on the coat, um, they are generally like, yeah, foam. But in Grenchen, they basically have like wooden blocks in as well. And I just got this massive fear of basically being on the black line because uh, quite a few times I sort of dipped down onto the coat and I would hit one and I would feel like I was going to come off my bike. Really knocked me. So then I was like, oh, my God, I can't be near the black. It's because I hit them, I don't know, three, four times. And so whenever I just thought, okay, I'm starting to ride like a pretty decent line, pretty relaxed into it, and then I'd flick off a corner and then just come down and it would be like, bosh. So that's kind of messes with your head a bit. So that distracted me um, <laughs> a lot. But I think mentally, um, if the, the, the sort of the thing that I was like my go-to, my comfort for it was that um, we are sure in life uh, that time passes. Like we know that time passes. It's inevitable. Like we can guarantee it. So it's kind of a case of just waiting for time to pass. It will pass. It will be over. Like you just kind of let it wash over. Um mm-hmm. And for the first 50 minutes, that's absolutely fine. Like all the while you actually feel quite good. Time passes quite easily. Like it's not really stressful. You just kind of wait for it to pass. And then when you start to like hurt, so in the last 10 minutes of an hour, like um, like your mouth gets really dry, your lips are really sore, you've got snot like pouring down your face, you're like sweaty, you've got pins and needles. Like it's not necessarily cardiovascularly the what you're fighting or like, you know, your legs burning, whatever. It's just all this these really grim um, sort of effects of it. And then time just like, it feels like it stops. Like it goes so slowly. Um, and that's when I suppose it is, yeah, the, the hardest point. But you just, yeah, just keep waiting for time to pass. <laughs> Amazing. It always does. Yeah. It always does. <laughs> um, obviously, needless to say, you had uh, some of the best equipment uh, uh, to do it on. But obviously, we're not going to get into a whole lot of technical discussion on uh on that now because we've obviously been talking for uh, quite some time but I thought maybe to um to, to finish off is you know what advice um and and again for our listeners we've got uh, a wide range of um you know people out there who uh, who listen um but I guess you know maybe talk a little bit about what what you guys you know you, you you've gone through a, a sort of a um a progression through the sport and from two different uh uh, angles I guess but uh, what general sort of training um, and sort of guy you know you know typical training session ideas would you guys um, you know give to our listeners um, obviously not to go and do maybe in the future but uh, not for them to go and do our records of course but uh, just general advice would be quite useful I think um, I feel like the biggest the biggest one I always tell people is just like consistency um, you know, you're going to get more from training four to six days a week. If you even just go ride for like 30 minutes or an hour, than if you do like one three hour ride every Saturday and then nothing else all week, mm-hmm. like it doesn't, you know, it can be as hard as you want, as easy as you want. Um, but just trying to do a little bit of physical activity more, more days than not like that. The consistency is such a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good one. And then I think work out what you enjoy doing and basically <laughs> build around that. Um, there's not a lot of point forcing yourself to do a whole load of sort of training or styles of, you know, intervals, or whatever, of the things that you really hate doing. Like, yes, we should train the things that we're not as strong at, but do it in a way that you enjoy it. Um, I think that's probably quite important. Uh, yeah, work out what you like doing and then do it. <laughs> Yeah, if you're not enjoying the process, you're not gonna you're not gonna stick with it. And finally, what's uh, what's next on the horizon for you both? Um, obviously, off season, uh, you know, uh, now I guess. But uh, what 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 does the future hold? Uh, I've yeah, off season. Although I had my first sort of spin back today, and it felt like I think it's been a couple of weeks, but it felt like I hadn't ridden my bike for about a year. It was like Bambi. It felt like worse. Um, <laughs> But then uh, I'm moving teams uh, to Uno X, which uh, is going to be the first year for the 
the women's team for Uno X and uh, should be world tour, um, which is going to be pretty cool. Um, we've got like um, the first uh, women's Tour de France in the summer, uh, Commonwealth Games uh, in the mix as well. So yeah, pretty busy um, road race calendar for me. Um, and I mean, there's always the question mark of whether I'll do another hour. If I got a chance to go up to uh, Cochabamba or Aguas Calientes, I think I'd be tempted, but uh, there's a lot of other things to fit in as well, I think. Yeah, I'm still I'm still in off, full full gas off season. Uh, I did, I think I've done one ride since I got back. Uh, I've got a Zwift race tonight with a, a Zwift team that I race with. Um, so that'll be pretty hard to get the hard, hardest way I could think of to get back into it. Um, back off off season with a Zwift race. Yeah. That's well, busy. I mean, <laughs> it's just community league. It's pretty chill. Yeah. But uh, it will still be like a thousand Watts from the gun, won't it? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's going to be super hard. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of my plan. You know, most of the winter will be just, uh, yeah, chill get back into the gym a little bit. I've been doing that. That's always fun. Um, and then, yeah, my big plan next year is like uh, gravel race season and some adventure racing, ultra distance stuff. Really want to do the big goal on the horizon is uh, Paris Brest Paris. It's like a big Audax um, that's in 2023. So that's a big, big push for me. And how far is that, uh, Ashton? 1,200 kilometers. And that you, you you stop off and have a break right or you go straight through you can i mean the goal is kind of to do it as quickly as possible you have 90 hours to complete it wow. so like basically like four days i've done a 1200k but it's been years uh so yeah i'm excited to get back into doing that okay, so you definitely need a bit of off season before you attempt that yeah, that's the that's the hope. Recover a little bit, lose some of that anaerobic fitness, and then gain it back the other way. Wow. Well, um, may I take this opportunity on behalf of Argon eighteen uh, to thank you both, uh, Joss. Congratulations again on uh, your uh, your hour record, Ashton. Uh, congratulations on sub four hour. Um, and I'd just like to say thank you for taking the time out to. Uh, to speak with us and share uh, some great stuff and uh, thank you uh, to everybody for listening to this podcast i hope you enjoyed it as uh, as much as i did and and, and learning and hearing from uh, josh and aston um and if you like this uh, this episode you can follow uh, follow this on our social networks um thank you very much thank you thank you thanks for all your support too guys